I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, you lovely, amazing, beautiful, wonderful Friders, and welcome to another episode of Fight or Fright. And hi, I'll be your guide. I'll be your G-U-I-E-D to the other side. Sorry, if you can't tell, I've been watching a lot of fucking TikTok lately. It's kind of ridiculous. But (laughs) thanks for joining me again for another episode of Fight or Fright. And I'm going to quickly just say this at the top. If you can give me a five-star rating or review, if you enjoy this podcast... If you can't, if you could at least tell a friend, anything helps with a small podcast like mine. I love doing this for you guys, and I'm obviously going to keep doing it, but it would really help if you could tell some people about this podcast. So again, like the past two weeks, these are not my sponsor at all, but I love my flare bracelet. There is one for every single person's style. There's like the Bohemian bead kind of one. I have the Nova, which is like different constellations. There's the Warren, which is just a silver bracelet. They're so cute. And they've made me a lot safer going on online dating. And I say made me feel safer because it's COVID, it's quarantine. I'm trying not to go out as much. So, but I can let my friends know where I am. The police will be contacted and call me if I'm ever in a situation. I just think it's really important to be safe in this day and age. And so it's better to be safe than sorry. And I just like this. They don't pay me. This isn't an advertisement. And now let's get to the episode. So this week I am going to have a mystery. It's not solved. It's a Jane Doe. It is really sad, but... My roommate sent me an amazing BuzzFeed article about just a bunch of different crazy cases that are not well known. At least they're not well known here in America. So I am going international. I'm doing this vicariously since no one wants us Americans in their country anymore. And everyone basically has shut their border off to us. So we are going to Scandinavia this week which is where some of my ancestors are from. But more specifically, we're going to Norway. This week, I am going to be doing the Istal woman. She is named this because they do not know her identity, but she was found in the Istalin Valley of Norway. So we are going back to... On November 29th, 1970, a man with his two daughters were hiking in the Istalin Valley when one of the daughters smelled something that was weird and not really something she'd smelled before, so she went to investigate. What they ended up finding would be a haunting sight that would lead to a mystery that still has not been solved to this fucking day. Granted, we'll go into this later, it's getting closer, but it still hasn't been solved. The girl found a body that was charred. I think it was like 
this is awful, but I think it was still kind of smoky. Like it wasn't like a charred body that had been there for like a super long time. She kind of noticed a little bit of smoke and then saw the charred body. So they ran and what, I mean, this is what I would do. So I like to imagine that they ran like fucking Tom and Jerry's cartoon style, like whenever you hear that thing where like their legs are running and they just like take off. But they went to get the police in the town of Bergen. When the police arrived, they found a woman who was burned so severely she was unrecognizable. She was laying face up with her hands down by her torso and her hands were clenched. Personally, I don't know if this was because she struggled with her attacker or what happened, but her hands were clenched. All I can say is that located near her body, there were some weird fucking things. And these things that the police ended up finding only added to the mystery surrounding the Estelle woman. And it led to people speculating that there is more to the story. Investigators found an empty bottle of St. Halvard liquor, two plastic water bottles, a plastic passport container, rubber boots, a woolen jumper, a scarf, nylon stockings, an umbrella, a purse, a matchbox, a watch, two earrings, and a ring. So they found a good amount of stuff just on her person. And around the body was charred paper, a wool hat that was covered in gasoline, and they also found some sleeping pills that were kind of scattered around the scene. The woman that they found had dark brown hair tied in a ponytail. She had brown eyes, a round face with small ears. She was slim, but the articles that I read like to point out that she she had some she had some hips going. I'm kind of picturing like an hourglass figure, but she had extensive dental work. This dental work was so interesting to the investigators that the jaw and dental work were taken out during the autopsy in hopes that it would be able to help identify this poor woman that was found. During an isotope test, obviously this is closer to now than it was in the 1970s, but when they did an isotope test on the dental work, they hypothesized that due to this work, she was most likely from Germany or France and born in the 1930s. She was found wearing a dark blue bubble jacket, a blue knit sweater, black trousers. She had a blue umbrella, a checkered wool shawl, a fur cape, and rubber boots. And on all of the items that ended up being found at the scene, the labels or anything that was identifiable was removed from the items. And three days later, the investigators found the three suitcases at a railway station in Bergen. The suitcase had five 100 Dutch mark notes, among other items. They found clothing, shoes, wigs, makeup, eczema cream, 135 Norwegian kroner, Belgian, British, and Swiss coins, maps, timetables, a pair of glasses with non-prescription lenses, which, let's be real, I don't know if this makes me hipster or stupid, but there's times where I want to get non-prescription lenses just because I like the look of glasses, which is weird because most people that have glasses want to get rid of it. But I guess it's also why 
I like when my hair is like a little bit longer, I like to curl it and not straighten it because I like curly hair. But I also don't have the beautiful curls that my sister has. So and they found sunglasses and they ended up getting partial fingerprints from the sunglasses that matched the body. There was cosmetics, a notepad, and just like with all of the stuff that was located at the the scene of the crime, any possible identifying information had been removed from everything in the suitcase. So some of the identities that I was able to find in the passports that she had hidden were Genevieve Lancier, Claudia Tellet, Alexia Zanier Merchez, Vera Jarli, Fenella Larch, and Elizabeth Lehauer. These were just some of the nine names that were found on the passports that she had. There was also a notepad that was found with her things. Eventually, the police were able to decode the text that was written in these notepads. The information that they decoded were a list of all of the places that the still woman had visited. It was places that were across Norway, German, like she'd been to a bunch of different places and every place that she had been was what they decoded on that notepad. Just crazy. And I'm amazed by people's minds that work like that because when I see that, all I think of is like, (laughs) all I think of is Dr. Spencer Reed from Criminal Minds and just this one scene where he's able to like be like, oh, it's from this book. I'm, I now have the code. It's just insane to me that people's minds work that way because my mind is so not that. I wish it was that, but it's not. We all have our strengths, I guess. <laughs> but the autopsy was done at the Gades Institute. The results found that phenobarbital and carbon monoxide were in the Isidel woman's system. There was soot in her lungs, which shows that the woman was burned alive, which is fucking terrible. Burned alive and being drowned are like my two biggest fears. So that's just like cringy to me and just so sad for this poor woman. There were also marks on her neck from a blow or a fall. Once the police saw the sleeping pills that were in her system, though, they basically kind of were like, meh. This is a suicide. And they determined that pretty quickly once they had sleeping pills at the scene and they saw in her bags that there was sleeping pills. They basically just decided that this was a suicide. But they still had no idea who this woman was. Investigators were still trying to find who this woman was so that they could do what they could to reach out to the the family of this poor girl. And investigators realized that the last time anyone had seen this woman was when she was checking out of room 407 in Hotel Hordeheim. I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. But Hotel Hordeheim on November 23rd, the staff recalled that she was a good looking woman and she seemed on guard and cautious and just kind of like... I would say like skitsy, nervous, that kind of thing. She paid for the room in cash and people that worked at the hotel saw her getting into a taxi. But this would be the last time that anyone saw her. They 
kind of went backwards once they found that out. And they found out that she stayed at multiple hotels in Bergen. She told people that she was a traveling salesman or that she was an antiques dealer. People and witnesses to this woman also said that she spoke multiple languages. People heard her speaking German. They heard her speaking English with an accent, and they heard her speaking Flemish. And people also commented to investigators about multiple wigs that they saw this woman wearing. From what I from what I read in articles, she had a gap in her teeth, and so she was in that way kind of recognizable, but also someone that is noticeably a pretty girl even especially in the 1970s, just with the way times were then, if you're a pretty girl, you're kind of going to get noticed. So people just kind of noticed this girl that had a gap in her teeth, had these brown eyes and whatever. And they were able to, I mean, there's people that recall her to this day. And this happened in the 1970s and people recall this woman. So Eventually, they gave the Estelle woman a Catholic burial. They gave her a Catholic burial because when she was checking into the different places in Bergen, she used the names of different saints. The funeral was on February 5th, 1971. Some police officers, I think I saw about like 16, attended this funeral. They buried the Estelle woman in a zinc coffin, hoping that it would preserve some of her remains. I mean, obviously things are going to happen to the body, but they were hoping to preserve what they could. They also photographed this ceremony in case they ever found out who the woman's family was so that they could show them if they wanted to see the funeral that was held for their daughter or sister or whatever. And like I was alluding to and said earlier, the Istal woman's death was ruled a suicide, and it was closed fairly quickly. As I said, they thought it was a suicide because of the sleeping pills, but a lot of people question this. They question this conclusion because of the state of things in the 1970s, especially in Norway. There was the Cold War going on, which was crazy all around, and this led people to believe that she might have been a spy. Also, I mean, normal people that aren't up to something suspicious, I personally feel, wouldn't have nine passports and wigs so that she could change her looks. Even though people still recognized her with the wigs, still, she was trying to change what she looked like, and she had nine different passports with different aliases, different names, different some of them were even different countries that she was from. So people thought that she could have been a spy. And another coincidence is that once they uncoded the notes that I was talking about earlier in her notebook, they discovered that a lot of her movements seemed to coincide with the Penguin missiles. The Penguin missiles were short to medium range missiles that were used for the Norwegian Navy. Other than thoughts that she was a spy and hearsay rumors, there really wasn't much that was able to be discovered about this poor woman's identity until a podcast called Death in Ice Valley. 
I'm going to say right now. It is something I really want to listen to, but I I don't want to listen to a podcast about the same thing that I'm working on until after because I don't want to subconsciously say something or do something that is a little too much like what they're saying. And I by no means am anywhere near death in Ice Valley. If you want to hear more about this case when I'm done with it, you should definitely listen to that. It is, I believe it's a BBC podcast about this whole case. And this podcast has really led to a lot of things being discovered about this woman more recently. There's been a lot more leads and a lot more people coming forward because of this podcast. And that's why I can say that people to this day, like 2018, 2019, like people to this day remember the Estelle woman and remember seeing her if they were in Bergen. There's a multiple people that still remember seeing her in the town. And it also led to new theories and information and people coming forward that hadn't spoken on this subject before. And one of those people was a man named Arn Magnus Vabo. And he lives in the Bergen area. Arn has a metal detector that he has definitely put to good use, which I know this is really stupid because people have metal detectors, but all I can think of is Harry Potter when they have those, I forget what they're called, but the little creatures that dig for gold. And I remember when I was little, I always wanted one so that it could find gold for me. But he, Arn has a metal detector. And while he was going around the, Bergen area. I'm not a hundred percent sure from the article if he was specifically looking for something in the area that she went missing or he was using a metal detector that he had and it just so happened that he found something 40 meters from where this woman was found in 1970. So what happens is Arn is using his metal detector and he finds a bag and this bag was visibly and quite obviously just to look at it, very old. When he found it, it, there were like tree roots going through it and it was just worn with time and everything. But when he found this bag, people thought that maybe this purse belonged to the Istal woman because it was so close to where she was. And if it belonged to her, maybe there was something that could lead to her identity in there. Like I said, it was only 40 meters from where she was found, which I'm American, so we don't use meters. But the way that the article makes it seem is that it's pretty close. And and I mean, to this day, we really don't know if that purse belonged to her because time and the weather conditions made it impossible to distinguish or gain any more clues to this mystery. I mean... In the winter, Norway gets fucking cold. So does Sweden, so does all of Scandinavia. It's cold there. The season's changing and it going from cold to a little bit warmer for like 40-something years. Yeah, that's going to make it really hard to get any information from it. But then there is also a woman that came forward after the podcast that spoke about her family's connection to the case. 
Her grandfather worked on the case. I mean, worked on is a little... He knew the main investigator on the case, and he was friends with him. And she talks about how when she asked her father about this case, he recalled how frustrated her grandfather was on the case and how he would get together with that main investigator who was his friend. They would go to like lunch and talk about how frustrated this case made them and how hard and stupid it was. She says that when the police began to speak of ties to Israel or the Mossad, which is a theory, one of the theories is that this Estelle woman was a, I already said that she was a spy, but that she was a professional spy and that more accurately, she was a spy for Mossad because of their training, which when I think of spies and I think of the Mossad, all I can think of is Cody DePablo as Ziva in NCIS, one of my favorite characters. But this was an actual theory that she was part of the Mossad. And when the investigation kind of went that way, the police, when the police started speaking about that, the case was basically railroaded. There was a wall put up in front of them and it was essentially taken out of the Bergen police's hands. And along these lines, another theory is that maybe she wasn't a professional spy, but she belonged to a gang called Bader Meinhof. I I think that's how you say it. This was a militant army group that started in West Germany. It was like a red militant army missionary kind of group from what I gathered from my research on it. So something else that came out of the podcast Death in Ice Valley is there is also a group of young men in Oslo, Norway, who gather and hang out with each other and look at police files that they were able to get their hands on and old newspaper reports trying to solve the mystery of the Istel woman. One person from this group basically believes it's a mix of two theories. They believe that she was a spy but they also believe that she got tired of her work and completed suicide. But not everyone that's in this group believes this and has come to the same conclusion. And with a mystery like this, until you know the answer or even at least find out her identity, there's going to be no definites in what happened. The first step is definitely and obviously finding out who this woman was. Then another story came out from this podcast where a man named Katil Kvorsky, no, Katil Kvorsoy, it's K-V-E-R-S-O-Y, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say it, Versoy, Kvorsoy, something like that. And he's basically spent his life in Bergen. He lived there when the Istilla woman went missing. And now Katil is a sea captain, but he still remembers when she went missing, but More importantly, he remembers the Istil woman, and he remembers when he saw her. He saw her, and he remembers it to this day because there was something off about the situation he encountered. He saw three people. He saw the Istil woman who was ahead of these two men that were behind her. They all seemed to be dressed as Not like they were going on a hike or like they meant to spend a lot of time out in the wilderness or hiking or in nature, especially because, I mean, it was like November 
It was in Norway. It was fucking cold. And she was, he just remembers her not being dressed for the weather, which was odd. It looked more like she was going to be going into the town of Bergen and doing a short stop than it did she was going to be going into the mountains. But those two men that were following her, to him, from what I got in my research, it he felt like she was aware that they were near her, but it didn't seem like they were with her, quote unquote. It, it seemed like she didn't know that they were going to be there, but she knew that they were behind her. And Katil says that he locked eyes with her and that she seemed a bit nervous. And he wanted to go to the police right away and tell someone, especially because he had a friend in the Bergen police force. But this friend told him that the case was out of the Bergen police force's hands. And one of the things he says to this day is that he wishes that he had talked to investigators and the police sooner. There obviously is still hope in this case, though. As I was talking a little bit about earlier, through isotope testing, they were able to discover that she was from Germany or France and that she was born in the 1930s. And this is definitely a start. It's at least more than they had before. And as I said, they took the jaw and dental work. And with the genetic genealogy testing, they're... (sighs) there's still a little, a little bit of hope that they can finally solve the mystery of the Estelle woman. Genetic genealogy testing, is it's still a new thing, and it has helped cases get solved, like Joseph D'Angelo and the Bear Brook case. All of that stuff, it's genetic genealogy has led to advances in being able to solve cold cases, but it is still new and it is still controversial. There's there's a question on if it is ethical to be able to use someone's DNA to catch a person that did a crime. Personally, I think people that committed a crime should be caught and should pay for what they did, especially if they murdered someone. But I can understand the, the rights and the ethical dilemma that comes with the privacy that is this person's DNA. They did 23andMe to find out if they were Swedish or Irish or Italian, and then their DNA goes into a database where I know it might not be 23andMe. That's just the one that popped in my mind. But you take these genetic tests, and then it leads to the ability for police to use it and in in a way violate your privacy and use your DNA to solve a crime. I would be fine with it, but... I can understand the ethical and the dilemma with when it comes to privacy with this matter. But there is a volunteer-run organization called DNA Doe Project in the United States. And there's a woman named Colleen Fitzpatrick who is a part of this organization. And she's reached out to the Death in Ice Valley podcaster who is obviously trying to get this case solved, and Colleen has offered to assist in testing the genetic genealogy of the Estelle woman, like I said, meaning that there is hope that one day this could be solved. And I think it is solvable, especially with the technology we have now. If they still have the jaw, they still have the dental work, I feel like they still have DNA. And with all of the 
advances in technology, I, I think there's a good chance that it could get solved. But the crazy, mysterious case of the Istal woman, I like I said before, this is definitely the most basic of information that I could find. And it's only the tip of the iceberg on the information that can be found out about this woman. So like I said, I definitely suggest listening to Death in Ice Valley if this was kind of getting your feet wet and you want to learn more because I definitely think it's super interesting and fascinating and I know I'm going to listen to Death in Ice Valley. I just didn't want to subconsciously take anything like any phrasing or anything she said without realizing it. But I'm very interested in this case. I want to listen to that podcast. So now, with that done, we are going to The Fright is Over. So, on February 5th in 1974, a five-year-old named Siobhan McGinnis, or Siobhan, went missing in the north side of Missoula, Montana. Two days later, this beautiful young girl was found dead near Interstate 90. Siobhan was walking home from playing with a friend, something I personally did so many times when I was younger, especially when it was dark. I remember I had a neighbor who like lived in the house behind me. I would go to her house all the time at night and or spend all day there and come back home at night or walk her halfway home at night and make sure she got home okay. So I definitely know this walking home from playing with a friend, hanging with a friend, all of that. But for Siobhan, it was a short distance, but she never came home. Two days after going missing, she was found dead, which is awful. She was five fucking years old. It's so sad. It's just awful. And from the article that I found, it said that she had been violated, which again, I can only imagine what that means. I get what they're alluding to and that's fucking awful. So police did what they could for Siobhan, but Siobhan's half-sister, Una, believes that the person who took Siobhan was watching and waiting. And her family also talks about how sweet and bubbly and just how great of a girl Siobhan was. But the person that took Siobhan did have to come up with something to get her in their car. From what I read, she wouldn't have just gone willy-nilly into any person's car. It's like she was walking home. It, they would have had to have some kind of ruse, most likely, to get her into the car. And for years, and by years I mean like decades, this crime was unsolved and it was a cold case. And Siobhan's family lost hope that they would ever find out who did this and just lost hope that it would ever be solved. But thanks to DNA and advancements and improvements in technology, they were able to catch this motherfucker. Investigators, with the help of other agencies, discovered that the shit garbage bag of a human being that committed this crime was Arkansas native Richard Davis. This was seemingly 
awfully, terribly, a crime of opportunity. Davis was just passing through Missoula because of a conference in 1974. Sadly, he will not, in life, pay for his crimes because he died in 2012. To this, the only semi-bright side, I guess, is that the family knows what happened and who did this to their daughter. And even though it's alleged, quote-unquote, because he's not here to defend himself and he hasn't gone into a court of law and never will because he's no longer with us, the fact that DNA connected him to this crime offers some peace of mind for the family and gives them some knowledge or some some comfort in knowing who did this. And that 45 years after the crime, police still cared enough and people still cared enough about Siobhan that they were motivated and wanted to solve this horrible, horrible tragedy. So that was The Fright is Over. And that was another episode of Fight or Fright. Thank you guys again so much for joining me this week with Fight or Fright. It's amazing. I'm so happy you guys listen. Again, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend something. I love doing this. I love you guys. I love that you listen. And I really, really, really would like for you to tell people or show your love for the podcast with a rating or review. You can find me at Gmail. Uh, fight or fright pod at gmail.com on facebook you can find me at fight or fright podcast on instagram fight or fright pod and on twitter you can find me at fight fright pod thank you guys again so much and join me next week and remember don't fight this fright later thanks for joining me for another episode of fight or fright you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.